Live hackers, I have another podcast as well. It's called Marketing Radio, and it's in Russian, and it's dedicated to marketing, as you have guessed. So recently, I had a chance to talk to Amanda Holmes. She is the daughter of legendary Chad Holmes, author of The Ultimate Sales Machine. For those of you who are far from business and sales, this is the guy who brought the business of Tony Robbins and Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's major partner, to absolutely new heights. And his book is a national bestseller for many, many years. So far you might be wondering, has the format of this podcast changed and what does it all have to do with happiness? Once you listen to this interview, you'll understand that it's possible to live in a community of meditators, do your sadhana from 4 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock in the morning, and also manage a multi-million dollar company. I truly believe that being in the world and also being able to meditate and be spiritual and be kind is something that's gonna become more and more the part of the new era. I believe that we need to live abundantly, but also see that this world is not only material, that there is much more to it. This conversation, this interview turned to be really different from everything I did in the past. So we talk about meditation and singing mantras with Amanda, but also we're talking about cold calls and other kinds of sales. I love it and I hope you love it too. Please meet Amanda Holmes after intro. Patterns of happiness are frameworks that always work. They are tools and practices that will bring permanent change to your life for better. We're not looking for temporary solutions. We change and transform. We practice what we preach and we're gonna share it with you here. Be careful because you can become seriously happier today. Good evening. Where are you now? I see Lotus around you. Is it your home in U.S.? <laughs> yes, I'm in Florida. Good, because you look really authentically Indian. <laughs> Thank you for meeting with me. I'm, I'm really happy to have you with us today. Yeah. And uh, I guess one of the reasons why we finally met is because I picked up this thing from Chad's book that follow-up is important <laughs> and pig-headed <laughs> discipline. I, I texted you for the first time around middle of March and then it's middle of June, but it finally happened, which is amazing. Good. Yes. Follow up is great. I'm sorry. I just travel all over the place all the time. How is it possible that a person who is following an Indian Guruji, who is deeply following the past, who is vegetarian or vegan, I'm not sure. Vegetarian, yeah. Is also someone being in charge of a multi-million company, taking care of sales of billion-dollar companies. Can you please advise how this all happens to be you? Where, where should I begin from? 
My father got ill. He was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, previous to that, I was a singer-songwriter. So I was releasing records. I was going to the num one of the top music schools in the United States and um, touring. And so my life was not marketing and sales. And when my father got diagnosed, I just put all of that aside and just said, you know, let's find the cure. Let's find a cure. So we looked through all of these different alternatives. Um, hundreds of different doctors, all the best in their fields. So we did everything from light therapy, sound therapy, oxygenation therapies, uh, people speaking tongues. I studied with monks. I, and then I had the blessing. The biggest blessing of my life was meeting Guruji. And um, I ended up studying with her when it looked after my father's bone marrow transplant, everything looked like it was okay. So I flew over to to Singapore to study under her further, where she cured me of celiac disease. All Western doctors just say, don't eat wheat. That's the way that you can cure yourself of that illness. Um, I used to go to the hospital if I ever uh, ate a bread or pasta or anything like that. So she cured me of that while I was there in Singapore. And she teaches this whole idea that you really have to understand yourself. And when you understand yourself, anything is possible. And if we can release our own frames around what society thinks, what your family thinks, what your friends think, what you know you believe are your limitations, or just kind of letting go of all of that, letting go of the expectations and coming into acceptance, being in the now, and then making those decisions based on discernment from a true intellect rather than an emotional or a subconscious place. So my father, um, the doctors called and said, you know, your father's passing away. You need to come back home. So I came back home and six weeks later he passed. It was very close to my father. So it was a very big upset for me to lose him. And the thought of being a part of his business was not something I was interested in um, until I spent more time with our clients. I started to get to know them and I saw, wow, we're really making a huge impact here. I mean, hundreds of thousands of businesses worldwide, you know, have trained what we teach. So um, I realized that there was something really special and, and it was definitely nudging from everyone around me, in particular Guruji of just saying, you know, this is something that you have to do, stand up and stand strong and be confident. And it took a lot of inward journey and a lot of work uh, on me and my own belief systems that I could do something like that. You know, I'm 24 years old and everyone else is double or triple my age. Uh, and then following my father's 12 competencies for how to double sales. So I had this framework of working on myself and then also working on, you know, we have the fastest, least expensive way to double sales or how to 9x your marketing reach just by incorporating education-based marketing or the time secrets, time management secrets of billionaires, all of these great tools that I was able to utilize through my journey. When this all happened, I mean, unfortunate event of your father's death, how long did it take you to transfer into this position of a CEO? How long did it take you to actually pick up these responsibilities and to learn everything it took me two years. So I went and I hired multiple different executives, multiple different C-suites to try and uh, fill that, that position. Because um, the business was so built around my father, it was uh, very hard. It felt like 
the organization, you know, didn't need my father to do much selling. He'd been out of the day-to-day -day business for a long time. You know, he had his, his sales reps who reported to their manager, who reported to that manager, and then all of the 12 different companies had their own president. So he really wasn't in the day-to-day. -day. So nothing changed from that aspect, but it felt as though you try to operate your body, but you have no heart anymore. Where's the heart gone? And I think that that was something that I was able to at least stand there and say, okay, I, I will put my heart into this. I, I will stand there and be the heart, you know, and I feel that that transfer of trust has happened over the last seven years um, where people uh, now trust me. And it was hard at first, right? I'm so young. Here I am standing here trying to teach something. So at first I said, no, 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 I can't teach. I can't be the teacher. You know, let me be the conduit that assists to have other people teach. So I was always interviewing different executives within my team. I was interviewing joint venture partnerships or other thought leaders in my industry and, and building my credibility by picking great people that had great content. So that assisted me to take that step in being the, um, the leader of the organization. Hmm. I can imagine how it is. So you're a singer and basically you have just found your teacher, spiritual teacher, and then everything changes and you have to return to the world and to take immense responsibilities. Did you ever consider just leaving the company aside and just going to India and forgetting about this story? Well, I wouldn't have been able to do it all if I didn't have my teacher and her organization. It's called uh, Divine Bliss. It's a nonprofit that she's built to assist people to open the light within themselves and to find who they really are. So I, I didn't run away to India, but I did run to Florida, which was one of her healing centers. I've lived here on and off for the last three years. For me, a day in the life for me is waking up at four, uh, doing my meditation sadhana for an hour from four to five, uh, doing some work around the space. And then fr from six to eight in the morning, I'm out in the garden. So we have a fully organic garden that I maintain and harvest. And Ooh. everything that I eat is what comes from the garden. So I really only go to the store maybe once a month, if that. Too. So you're actually vegan then? A vegetarian. I'm vegetarian. Yeah. So you eat some dairy products, but, I guess? Yeah, I have butter and... And um, I don't really eat so much milk, but um, butter's a big one and cheese is nice. Any Indian will pretty much love dairy products because they honor the cow. They love cows, right? And, and at least, uh, like my guru grew up with a cow um, like as part of her family. Like it was one of their pets was a cow. So she cherishes, you know, the natural cow products so today you know it's questionable how to get cow products that are natural but um yeah you tell an indian not to eat dairy products it's a bit hard <laughs> i've spent about two months in india this year we were oh. traveling with my family around uh, jirwan malai Northern it's the city near the arunachala mountain it's considered to be like the homage for shiva and okay. uh, there are around 300 temples just around this mountain. Just a lot is going on there all the time. 
I we we actually bought a poster of a cow, and uh, it shows how different deities, Indian deities, live in different organs of the body. So it's actually impossible for them to literally eat the cow because they then would eat the deities, which would be weird. So I totally understand you, and I have actually brought the ghee butter with uh, with us. It's a weird conversation in the sense that we're talking about sales and about your Guruji and about India as well, but I guess this is who you are and I guess this is partially who I am because uh, I'm exploring myself deeply. <laughs> Returning to Chad, can we talk about him a little bit? He was working for Charlie Munger, but then in the book he shares how he made a script and he actually sold it. I have two questions. To you, as someone who knows the kitchen from inside, how it happened, and also what happened afterwards. I mean, was it actually made as a movie? Because uh, here, if I write uh, Chad Holmes' name, I find a movie called In the Name of the King, oh. which I'm not sure whether it's related to him at all. Well, if you want to know a little bit of the backstory, so my father got diagnosed with cancer twice. The first time was when I was about... 12 and he realized at that moment that what he really wanted to do in life was be a film producer and he wanted to write movies and uh, live that life in Hollywood and um, he had always wanted to be that he was very creative that's actually what spurred the ability to come up with so many different marketing campaigns was just he had this creative it was like he was a fire hose of creativity it just poured out of him at every moment the thought of leaving this planet because of cancer and leaving me and my brother behind made him so inspired that he sat down in recovery of cancer and wrote this screenplay in five days this whole screenplay and it was kind of based around like if if he had gone what it would have been like for me to live on as a singer so the story is kind of based loosely around our relationship and and what it would have been like in in his uh screenplay they end up reuniting and he, he had just been taken away from her so um but he then what got him to it's really interesting majority of salespeople you'll find that they'll try to get anybody to talk to to close a deal um as opposed to this idea that I'm going to go to the top and whoever I need to get to at the top, it may be harder, but it's worth it because once the person at the top says yes, it doesn't matter who below them says yes or no, that top decision maker is going to help it really go quickly. So that was one of the sales strategies that he used. And so when he was selling his screenplay, instead of just going to an agent, he went straight to the owner of every major film company so we went to the <laughs> owner of warner brothers to the owner of paramount to the own i mean i remember listening to the voicemails he was like listen listen this is the <laughs> owner of warner, warner brothers right and and i can remember because in it only took him a week to get to i think like four out of the seven top studio heads on the phone well, because he's used to getting, I mean, he got 60 of the Fortune 500 on the phone. These guys don't really have so many people going after them because uh, they're usually not the ones making the decision, right? It's the, it's the lower tier people. So when he got them on the phone, um, even the head of Warner Brothers says, hey, man, 
you're like five levels too high. Go talk to one of my agents. And he's like, I'm telling you right now, it's the best script you've ever, you haven't made yet. And he just pitched it. He pitched it so well that it ended up working out. And um, so it was bought and it, and it was, man, ugh, maybe like 15 years ago or so. And it was right in the time when Leanne Rimes was really big. Leanne Rimes was a big country star and she was interested in the, in the screenplay. And so it got written up in all the publications that it was going to be made with Leanne Rimes. And then she ended up suing her, her label and her father, who was her manager. So that fell through. And then my father had to cold call again to the head of Warner Brothers to get it off the shelf and buy it back because it had uh -huh. been shelved for Leanne Rimes. Yeah, so he actually cold called twice to the top. So then he bought it back. Can I ask you a quick one? Did he need to pay more for buying it out or was it more? Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they, paid him, they paid him for the script and then he had to pay to get it back. Whoa. And then he and then he made it as a play because he wanted to prove to the to the heads that it was so engaging that a live audience would laugh. So he he filled the room with so many people and and got uh, multiple studio heads in there to see it. And lo and behold, they watched a whole. It's one thing to read a script and wonder how people are going to respond, and it's another thing to be in the room and watching everybody tearing up and you know moving away their tears and laughing hysterically and. Um, we had we had two studios that were negotiating on it when he went into the hospital. So, <sighs> so a long it's, it's battle. Still, it is, it is. But yeah. as of now, it's somewhere with you. Yes, I'm in the script. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> okay, so it, Chad has no connection with In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale. I think he was like an executive producer or something. He did something with them. I don't remember exactly what it was. Or he wrote a little bit of that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he also wrote. He also produced a zombie karate movie called uh, "This Vacation Bites." <laughs> it's a great film. Um, it only got indie. Uh, it, it never went out um, major to all of the theaters. It was just an indie film. That he did it's amazing. Movie. How did he get the top people from the companies answer his calls? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of techniques, and that's some of the stuff that people still today come to us for those cold calling techniques because there's just no one better than my father on that. He he was truly an expert. You're 60% of the way there if you just make sure that you have the right tonality and you gain their trust and respect. Majority of salespeople, when they're calling, you'll hear them go, hello, this is Amanda. May I talk to the head of blah, blah, blah? And every, all their intonation is going up. Whereas if you were cold calling and you're trying to get somebody very important on the phone that doesn't have a lot of time, you want to have the tonality as if you are a reporter or, I mean, I'm sorry, not a reporter, a detective or a policeman where it's, hello, is this Dimitri? Right? You don't feel that that's a salesperson if it's everything's going with a tonality down, right? So if you're even listening, hello, is this Dimitri? Right? Because I'm about to ask you, you know, is it the IRS? Is it the police? Right? So <laughs> I want to make sure that for me, I had to practice this a lot because I talk a lot, lot, a lot higher. But then when I make 
calls, I make sure that my voice is much lower to make sure that it sounds more authoritative. So even when I went up, it kind of took away from the thunder. Do you see that? How yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear it. I hear it. Hear it? it? It makes a huge difference. Just that alone in the first 60 seconds, if you have a script that's very clear about uh, gaining that authority. So for instance, we had a client that increased their sales by 700 million in two years. They were the largest home builder. I know they were the largest home builder in Mexico. And when they would cold call a, um, a prospect, they'd say something like, hi, this is Pedro Gomez from Homex. You know, I'd love to talk to you about buying a home. And that would be about it. And usually about 97% of the people that they would cold call would say a home. I don't need a home click. Right. So it was very quick to turn around. Instead, we changed their script to, uh, hi, this is Pedro from Homex. Have you heard of us? And it's not a yes or no, right? Or it's a yes or no that won't exactly hang up. It's like, what is this in reference to, right? So whether it's say yes or no, he would say, oh, well, we're the largest home builder in Mexico and we've commissioned a study recently to find the top trends of what's going on in Mexico. And, and it was just artfully put together. I don't have it off the top of my head. I've been presenting it lately to some of our clients because it's such a great story, right? But it, it's that combination of tonality, but then also, instead of just talking about yourself, you're talking about something that's of interest to them. That's absolutely key is you have to really talk what's of interest to them. So for instance, we had another client that sold high-end real estate. And instead of just talking about, hi, I have a luxury apartment, would you like to buy it? They were million dollar secondary homes. So like your vacation home is a million dollar uh, condo in Dubai, which mm -hmm. is a very small percentage of, of the population, right? That would want a million dollar vacation home. So they were really going after Fortune 500 CEOs. And instead of talking about uh, luxury apartments, instead they started talking about um, the how wealthy CEOs have a higher rate of premature death and stroke and what you can do about it. So instead of talking about me, I talked about what you're, what's probably at the top of your head, which for every fortune 500 CEO is probably balance. You know, what's going on with my children? How has wealth affected my children? What can I do to assist them? Those are the things that are probably keeping a CEO like that up at night of just oh my gosh, you know, I'm working too hard. I'm not getting enough sleep. It, this is causing me to have this happen and that happen, right? So it was talking to what was of interest to them. You're giving us some golden nuggets. Thank you for that. <laughs> what I'm wondering about while I'm watching you, you are talking about the spiritual thing and you're light like a feather. And then you're talking about sales and you're immediately gaining this confidence in your voice and you're becoming sharp like a knife. And it's just amazing <laughs> how fluid you are in these things, moving from one to another. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. Your Guruji, is she a healer? How would you describe what she's doing? I guess th this would be the more proper question to ask. Hmm. I would describe Guruji as the ultimate mother she is the most selfless being i've ever met she you know a true saint when they have nothing to prove to this physical world it makes no difference to them because the only person that they answer to right is something much greater so 
to have to appease the ego or to make them look smarter or, you know, none of that matters to her. What matters to her is watching people blossom and bloom and grow and evolve and um, raise their consciousness or uh, find a way out of their pains or sicknesses because she teaches that every disease in the body is just a dis-ease of our minds. So if we can release the angers, the fears, the frustrations, the guilts, we can cure ourselves of anything. I mean, she helped me rebuild my stomach lining because of the opinions and the, the traumas that I had as a child. That's what created, you know, I would stuff my emotions and I wouldn't show them. I would hold them in my stomach, which physically cut open my stomach. Um, so I had massive allergy issues. Any food that I would eat, I would become allergic to it. Apples, bananas, oranges, peaches, mushrooms, corn, brewer's yeast, dairy, wheat was my biggest. But all of that because of the way that I process my emotions. So what Guruji is here to do is teach people how to understand themselves on a level that we've truly forgotten. We only use 3% of our brain. Our 3% of our brain. The rest of the brain is just sitting there idle, not being utilized to its full capacity. And the reason for that is because of our emotions. We're tied into, we're held down by our own expectations and our fears and our frustrations and our guilts. These stop us from being able to be disconnected and yet still very connected, just connected inward instead of connected to, okay, what do I need to uh, own or what do I need to have to be able to make me feel whole or complete or abundant? Abundance comes from within. I've met plenty of very successful entrepreneurs that still feel lacking, that still feel, you know, you can't take that with you, right? So she she teaches how to uh, uplift your consciousness and to use a bigger percentage of your brain so that anything is possible so that you can connect to your true potential. There is no reason why I should have been able to take over this company and for it to still be here and running and alive and living that legacy. It's really because of the extraordinary assistance that I've had from Gurdjie to find that within myself and to truly be committed to being a conduit of light and love. That's, that's my intention and that's my prayer every day is Please assist me to be a conduit of light and love. To ground what you have just said in regards to the issues that you had with your stomach, I, I totally understand what you're talking about. But just for some of the listeners, can you please give an example of something that was trapped in your mind? I mean, about guilt or maybe anger that was actually bringing this problems with the digestion system. And a lot of the time, it's not a conscious realization it's something that we have subconscious right that we're not even bringing up to our conscious mind because we're so we feel so shameful of it or so guilty of it so for instance or, or maybe for someone it's so trifle or they got used to it so much that they just forgot about it that's why i'm asking you because maybe it will remind someone today of something they have forgotten and maybe it will help their stomachs as well <laughs> well i think the best thing to help your stomach is to just live in truth that's the best thing you can do the more that you can live in truth and honesty for yourself first and that's something that our world just doesn't promote or instill or teach even starting with children but that's a whole nother thing um uh for me i had 
realized after through the assistance of Guruji that um, I had blamed myself for my father's cancer. So he had been diagnosed the first time, right? And then months after, just very short time after his uh, cancer, I became I started becoming allergic. So it took some time for my brain to process it and my stomach to process it. But then all of a sudden I wake up one day and, I, and I'm sick all the time. So I had held on to that guilt of believing. It's just like uh, we had done one healing session where somebody believed that they had killed killed somebody because they accidentally lit a fire that that burned down a home and the truth is they really didn't kill that person that person just didn't get out of the fire but the guilt that they held on to is what created disease in their body like uh, a lot of women that have breast cancer let's say they may have a problem with uh, their children so this is a very motherly place right that chest that's nurture so you feel that you haven't been able to fulfill on your responsibilities as a mother or being able to nurture the way that you felt you should have yeah so every part of the body has different associations to your emotional um ener energies mm -hmm. there was one thing chat was speaking about in his book he was talking about programming himself every night that he recorded some things he wanted in his life he recorded it with his own voice and he was listening to it every night i wanted to ask how you see it from today and um whether you have used it yourself yes of course uh, i mean i feel very grateful any parent that's listening i think it's crucial to be able to teach your children that they can accomplish anything and it really just takes the decision to do it. Uh, so I can remember when I was a kid, if I ever said I couldn't do something, he'd say, what's that called? And I'd have to say failure reinforcement. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to say I can't do anything. It, it was forbidden in our households. One day he decided to write down all the goals he thought that I should have and he wrote them on my mirror and then taped it up on my mirror. So every night, he's like, every night and every morning when you're brushing your teeth, you're reading your goals, okay? Because if they're right in front of you, they're, they're part of your conscious and subconscious mind to continually work towards them. Um, right before bed and right when you wake up, your brain waves are actually at a slower frequency. Science has been able to prove that because your brain waves are slower, they're easier to digest information and to take in information. So the best time that you can program your own subconscious and conscious mind is right before bed and right when you wake up. Um, that's why, I mean, I'm sure so many religions have instilled, you know, prayer before bed, because if you're going to bed in prayer, you know, it's a much pos much more positive energy. Um, and I couple that today with what Guruji has taught me She's taught me that if you sleep in positivity and you say, uh, you make it very clear that as I sleep, I'm connecting to my higher self. I grant myself permission to wake up in positivity and abundance and jump out of bed ready for uh, the day. If you can set that as your intention, that as you sleep, you're working through whatever blockages are in your life to open it up, then you wake up and you feel like, wow, I've had such a productive sleep. 
because you're programming that subconscious, which, you know, we're only using 3%, there's so much more there that can be utilized to be able to get through whatever emotional problems or physical problems, just set your mind in motion that that's what you're doing is you're clearing whatever blockages there are so that when you wake up, you're jumping out of bed and you're, you know, I think that's another reason why. So I meditate for an hour before I go to bed and then an hour when I wake up. And I, and that really makes a dramatic difference for me. I don't, I don't know if everybody can do that, but it, it, it's a huge, that's pretty much intense. That's pretty much intense. One hour, (laughs) two times per day. It's quite a lot in the sense that most people say that they don't have time. How, How do you manage your day? And is there any specific reason why you wake up at four? Because I know that Kundalini yogis wake up at four and they have, uh, their own routine at that time. So from 4 to 6 a.m. is the most auspicious time of the entire day. It's the time when darkness starts to fall and light emerges. So it's a transition time. And at that time, when you're awake at that time, you'll notice that it's just so much quieter and peaceful. And um, it's very powerful time, the most powerful time, like I said, in, in the entire day. You'll notice if you meditated at 6.10 and then one day, see how much of a response you get. And then if you meditate at 4.10, it'll be maybe double, even triple the, um, the impact because of that time frame. And what kind of meditation is it? Uh, are you concentrating on something in particular? Or is it different every day? Well, I'm lucky enough to have a group. Uh, Divine Bliss is really a beautiful community and, and family of people that are upholding that, wanting to um, have that kind of practice. And I wouldn't be able to do it without them and Guruji guiding that. So I'm very grateful for that. Because um, I historically have never been a, I wake up at 4 a.m. kind of a person. I was a singer-songwriter, so I'd be writing songs until 4 a.m. I, <laughs> you know, musicians live at night. So to make that shift has been quite different for me, but I always love a challenge. So for me, it starts off with different prayers. So I'll pray, and then I'll do a pranayam. So I'll do a breathing technique. Um, majority of people don't breathe correctly, and it's a huge it's an amazing way to tell your whole body to calm down. Because when you think about it, when you're in fight or flight, right, you're breathing like, right? If you're scared, if you're frightened, your breath will be shorter. When you're relaxed, when you think of yourself on a beach, what do you do? Right? And it's actually, it's signaled by your breath. So why wouldn't you signal your entire nervous system and your brain to calm down by taking long deep breaths so i'll do that and then i'll use a mantra meditation i'll do some chanting i find that it's well guruji has taught me that it's way more powerful to be able to use the sound of your own voice to calm the chatter in the mind because a lot of people if they sit in quiet and think that they're meditating a lot of the time our monkey mind just gets louder and that's not meditation yeah (laughs) I've been organizing for Deva Primal and Mitan for like three years, and uh, I've also been in contact with Krishna Das. How loud do you sing? I love to chant loud. I think like, that that's, it's, it's important. It opens up different frequencies within you, right? So one that I do a lot is Wahe Guru. 
which actually comes from the Sikh religion, but we don't really, we just like that um, that particular mantra has been granted to us by Guruji to have a much stronger force. I know this um, mantra too. Just oh, okay. to say that we're on the same page. Okay, good. So, and the first verse is is lower. So, Wahe Guru, Wahe Guru, Wahe Guru. So it's calm. And then the the higher one is Wahe Guru, right? So if you're really if you're coming from that place of the lower diaphragm and letting it all out, that's actually assisting the energies from the bottom of your coccyx to rise up as the kundalini would, right? Is it from the bottom of the coccyx up through your chakras to the top because you want to open up your crown chakra to open up that lotus. So um, it's, it's, it's important to be able to really project that sound, especially oming too. I find that, man, I just kind of let it go wherever it goes. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I, in singing, it was very hard at first because I wanted it to be controlled and I wanted it to sound good and I wanted it to be perfect. And then that really came crashing down when I started chanting around people that don't care and sing very off and have no melody whatsoever or timing at all. So I really had to let go of that and just realize that the whole point of why I'm doing this is to connect to a frequency and find myself immersed in a frequency. So when I started thinking about the frequency, whatever I felt, you know, if I wanted to open my heart, I will just, I'll belt it as loud as possible. I got to open that heart, right? Just going a little bit backwards. In one of the interviews of Tony Robbins, he was sharing that uh, he was doing something with Shadow. They, they had one company together. Is it right? He did um, life coaching and he wanted to get more into business coaching. And um, my father and him had worked together on and off over the years. And my father actually increased his uh, lead generation by an ex like absurd amounts um and uh, my my father even worked for, for free to prove himself i'm like i he said i'll prove myself just wait and he flooded tony's sales team with so many leads they didn't even know what to do about it and, <laughs> yeah increased a lot of business for him and he said okay this guy is the real deal so they got together and they created a seminar called uh, business mastery so mm. um, it was five days of business techniques. And so it was Tony and my father um, and our, and our company. So um, we did that for several years, about six years. So we had one in Australia, one in Fiji, one in China, sometimes one in Vegas and London. I feel such an interesting cocktail of different feelings and energies inside because I have an intention to publish this interview in two podcasts that I have. One is the part of my life which is spiritual and it's an English podcast. And another one is in Russian. The fun thing is that on one hand, I would say that this interview doesn't fit any of this podcast because it has both lives of mine. But on the other hand, you are kind of a proof that both can coexist because you sincerely and openly share about your spiritual life on your Instagram page and on your page on Facebook. And at the same time, you're proudly sharing your, I don't know, like corporate 
challenges and events there as well. So you kind of a mixture of both. I find that happens a lot where people will interview me and, and I'll sneak my way into talking more about the spiritual side. And more often than not, they go, well, that was a very unique interview, but I think it might've been my favorite. <laughs> and, and a lot of the time they get a lot more views. So, so I'll tell you from both sides, usually the interviewer is really happy and usually the viewers are happy because it's just something, it's something new. I think people do need to, open up about that because our, I don't know, our world is so focused on our material possessions and saying, coming from a sales training company, it's not everything. And sometimes if you just work on your heart and your soul, then sales just come naturally. I, I just feel that you're a real deal when we're talking about spiritual things in particular, because I've had a chance to translate for about 50 different spiritual teachers, Buddhist monks, coaches, just like everyone. And I went through around like 300 workshops, not like leadership programs, but like meditation camps, things like this. And when I talk to you and when you talk from this place of what you feel and know from this place about meditation, I'm, I'm really touched. But I still have two, two more corporate, let's call them corporate questions. On your Instagram page, you say that your company, Chad Holmes Foundation, teaches uh, not only 500 fortune companies, but also startups. When they launch, they're usually really lean on resources and how they spend them. And one of the things Chad shares is that one person companies should hire the stars. Can you share your experience in this area? Well, startups can do so much today. It's it's quite phenomenal. You know, you if you can have, just be in the right place at the right time. I know, and that doesn't happen. You have to be at the right place enough times to be at the right time. We had a startup that went through one of our programs and in five weeks, he was pre-revenue and he closed a $65 million contract. Amazing. When I, I interviewed him for Entrepreneur Magazine and I asked him, you know, what made that difference? He actually said the meditation that my coach, uh, Deborah Bringleson, had given him in the morning to release the limiting beliefs that he could win a $65 million contract. And then he coupled that with the Dream 100 strategy, where he just focused on who are the biggest, best clients that he could possibly get. And then you just go after them with that pig-headed discipline and determination, right? Where you just won't quit. You're in their face, in their place, in their space. And social is a great way to be able to do that now, right? I mean, I, I, some of my Dream 100s that I've won have been just thinking outside of the box or just commenting on every post they possibly could with something that's not just, oh, cool, or that's nice, but really caring. You know, I, I care about them. I want to build a relationship. Um, and today that's, that's pretty remarkable. So I, I would say, um, I, there's a lot to cover on that, but I would say if they read the ultimate sales machine, that might help them get a little bit <laughs> quicker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you do a dream 100 strategy. <laughs> that's the fastest way to, to generate some real business. But you confirm that it's possible to hire a superstar, even low on budget. Yeah, if you show them the route of how to generate a good living, right, then anything is possible.
You just have to make sure that you have that commission structure where you're really rewarding those superstars. Your last post on Instagram is with Panasonic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you wrote something I didn't really understand. You were writing that they are buying core stories. W what does it mean? Be uh, chapter four talks a lot about it. Um, uh, that's the how to make nine times more impact from every move you make. And it's all based around education-based marketing. So a core story assists you to become number one in your market. It assists you to, instead of talking about just me, my product, my service, uh, you become an expert on the industry because you have this knowledge of what's going on. What are the trends happening in um, over the last 30 years in your industry? Uh, you know, maybe some of the plights or the difficulties that your prospect might be having. For instance, right, if we go back to that luxury apartment example, uh, when you think of a Fortune 500 CEO, what is keeping them up at night? How can you be valuable to them? When we did the research, we found, well, health is really one of those number one places where you can talk to them about it and they'd be interested as well as their family life. So your core story would involve, okay, who exactly is your prospect and what can you teach them? What can you show them? What can you educate them on that will gain that trust, rapport, respect, where they like you enough and you're now at a place of authority because you're educating them as opposed to just, hey, will you buy from me? Will you buy from me? Can you please buy from me? Can I talk to the person that might buy from me? Right? It's not about me, 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 me. It's I'm coming here to add value to you. I am valuable to you. Everything that you need to know, come to me. I will give you the answers, right? So it, it uh, core story really makes you that authority figure and it helps you to win business without necessarily have to hit yourself because in in a properly done core story as you educate your prospect it gets to the point where they've decided they want to buy what you have to offer because of your education you've led them through a logical conclusion that they need what you have to offer and maybe you haven't even told them that that's what you offer it's just the education is in such a way it's really valuable thank you and it's a great uh, place to end our conversation in the sense that that's the place where the spiritual actually joins the corporate, the sales, because you make your sales heartful, you bring value to your customers, to your clients, and that's amazing. I wanted to ask you one last thing, and it's actually to end our conversation today. I hope it's not the last one. <laughs> what your organization does today and at what stage the people can actually contact the foundation to get on track and study more, learn new ways and make their companies even more profitable. Well, if anybody wanted to get our three major core competencies for doubling sales, they could just go to chetholmes.com and there's, you just put in your name and email and it's three videos. They're, they're wonderful. And we give that away for free. Uh, at chetholmes.com. Um, and then the next step I would say is if you don't have the book, I mean, that's only $12 and it is a wealth of knowledge. So at any level, you can really get that. And then after that, um, if you ever decided that, you know, I really want to take my business to the next level, maybe I'm stagnant or I know that if I had a coach, someone would be able to assist me to get there faster. Um, I mean, studies show 
uh, that, oh man, I don't have any of my stats off the top of my head. I just pulled them though, of how powerful it is to have that mentor or that guide that's already been there and already done it. So before you're about to step in that pothole or fall off the cliff, they stop you beforehand, right? If you wanted something like that to help guide you and make it faster, better, smarter, right? To grow your company. That's something that we can assist with as well as core story. That's, that's a great place is we do research on your, on your industry, on your target demographic. And we build out this presentation, this education, this hub for all of your material that your sales and marketing can use to generate more business. Um, so that's something that we offer. And we also offer online training. Thank you, Amanda. And uh, I will also ask you for the link for the work that your Guruji does and how people can discover more about her work. Yeah, you can go to hellosoul.org. Soul, like like spirit, yeah, something soul. inside. Soul. Okay. Yeah. Amanda, I really appreciate your time and I really appreciate your conversation. It was really warming for my heart. Such for my point. heart. How was this conversation for you? Have you learned anything new? Is there anything you want to share with us? Please contact us on Instagram, on our page Happiness Patterns, or via email info at happinesspatterns.com. If you enjoyed this interview as much as we did, please rate us and leave review on iTunes. You will hear from us next Saturday. Bye-bye.